Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. I've got a very important question for you. What is your favorite kind of cupcake? Not orange. I'll tell you that much. That's disgusting. We don't it's, need to get into that story. We won't. But um, oh. I tell you what, it is probably chocolate. That's a little basic for me. I like chocolate peanut butter. I had one a couple weeks ago when I was eating UCF schedule that was uh, chocolate and peanut butter and it had a little acorn peanut butter ball on top of it. It was what very fall hell? festive. What kind I went of to cupcake a, places are you go into? I went to a cupcake challenge. There was like eight cupcake places there. It was awesome. I will tell you this. My favorite thing about cupcakes in general uh, is there's a there was a place they put it at Linux Mall in Atlanta, and my friend was the manager when they first opened. They had a cupcake ATM. And my favorite thing to do on Mondays was get videotape that she would send me from their uh, security cam of drunk people putting in credit cards and expecting to get money and then getting like four cupcakes back and being like, what in the hell is this? Anyway, I don't let's think, start the show. I don't think SEC teams will be doing that this weekend. Yeah. They, of course, are the ones coughing up the big cash. And Oh, I guess in a certain way, yeah. it's kind of it's similar. It's a metaphor, concept. bro. Yeah, all right, I, I take that back. We will talk about Cupcake Week. Uh, we went through picks with our good friend Luke Del Rio and talked about the Felipe Franks drama that he was involved in. Also, we may or may not have broken some news as to where his dad is going to be heading next year. Of course, Ooh. great Jack Del Rio. Um, and we've got some stuff that we're going to get to on the playoffs, some stuff on Tua. And then because it is Wednesday, of course, we've got our favorite, as always, fourth and wrong. We've got to bite me too much. Before we get to all that, though. I uh, got to talk to you guys about our friends over at Ticket City. You know them. We are excited to once again be partnering with them for all of their ticket needs. Our relationship with them goes back several years as they continue to be a leader in the ticket space, especially for college football fans. Getting tickets for college football games could not be easier when using Ticket City, and they have the best prices. You're going to get an even better price if you use that promo code that I give you every single time. It's CMBF10. That's CMBF10. You're going to get 10% off your tickets now, whether it's for this upcoming Saturday or for later in the season. Get your tickets now on Ticket City. I think we're actually going to be using Ticket City to get hooked up uh, in a couple weeks when you are making a trip to the Iron Bowl, maybe, potentially. Don't get my hopes up because I am real excited. Just, just throwing that out there. Before we get to Rivalry Week and all that stuff, it is Cupcake Week, uh, in case you may or may not have realized from uh, our open there. But um, a lot of people are discussing, and this, this happens every year, a lot of people are wondering whether or not Cupcake Week should be a thing. And there are a lot of takes flying. A lot of people, you're going to see the screenshots of the SEC schedule this week, and everybody's going to be throwing that out there. And it's a very easy thing to throw out. So instead of just regurgitating the same points on Cupcake Week, that is, it's not that entertaining. Nobody else does it except the SEC this week, and it'd be great. It'd be much better if you know the SEC had uh, a, a week full of great games this weekend. Instead of just throwing those out there, I think there are some points that have been largely overlooked when it comes to this. Okay. And you brought up you brought up some good stuff when you were in an argument with. The man who is going to be tweeting out pretty much screenshots every two seconds this weekend when he gets a chance, and that's Danny Canal. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I woke up. That is how I woke up. Um, was it yesterday? Hell, at this was... point, man, all the days are running together. Um, no, it was, it was yesterday, and I had a nice little um, notification from Danny Canal tweeted at you, and I was like, good. I'm sure it's just, <laughs> how's your day going, bro, bro? And it wasn't. It was... Um, Definitely to talk about this and to tell me 
and SES. Uh, he said, wait for it. I like how he set it up first. He said, wait for it, dot, dot, dot. And he quoted the tweet. Because he came at me on Saturday about it first, and he brought up, you know, all the cupcakes that the SEC's playing this week, and I was like, oh, no, you did. And then I had to clap back a little bit with week two, and um, it's just been a whole big thing. It's been great to watch. Um, so here's the thing that, that I think is interesting that most people overlook. And I understand the timing is part of this and the fact that this is the second to last week of the regular season. It's a bummer. It sucks. Yeah. I, I, I wish that we could have a full slate of, of SEC games that were entertaining. I get all that. What people overlook and people like Danny overlook, if you actually look at the schedule, the SEC has three FCS opponents this week. Which actually doesn't sound like a lot, all things considered. There's a couple independents in there who are basically FCS, but whatever. Three FCS opponents. The Citadel? Don't, don't, Liberty and... No, uh, Liberty's FPS. Oh, yeah, they're independent. That's right. Crap. All right, don't make me name these on the spot. Idaho? Idaho. I think Idaho, unless they move down. I don't know. This Either is, way. See, oh, see, this is I don't know, Idaho. I got you. That's good. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. Um, so there, there are three FCS teams that SEC teams will be facing during what is called Cupcake Week. Yeah, Chattanooga, Idaho, and um, the Citadel. Tennessee, Chattanooga. Um, that's a nice Dan Mullen reference there. Even though he was actually wrong, and we were called out for being wrong on that later on with the whole Nick Fitzgerald thing when he was... Anyway. <laughs> anyway, the ACC in Week 2 has seven FCS opponents. You don't hear anybody talking about that. No. Because it's not the end of the season. And because right. it's, it's in our usual, this is non-conference play, we as college football fans just kind of accept the fact that it's the calm before the storm in the beginning of the season. But everybody calls out the SEC's strength of schedule overall when the, the ACC, I mean, it, it's the same thing. It's the fact that both of those conferences are still playing eight-game conference schedules while the Pac-12, mm -hmm. the Big 12, and the Big 10 are at nine games. Now, I have long since said I want everybody to be on the same the same level, whether that's everybody playing nine or everybody playing eight. I think it's ridiculous that some conferences can play eight, some can play nine. I think that's stupid. Yeah. But the ACC and the SEC aren't going to change. And this yeah. is still, there's nothing, nothing forcing the SEC to change at all. And so everybody's going to complain this weekend, but there's nothing that's making them say, you know what we should do? We should actually schedule a quality opponent for this week of the year just because, you know what, why not? And, and our good friend Peter Burns threw out a, a little reason why that this isn't, that this isn't going to change anytime soon. Yeah, and so Peter Burns brought this up on Monday morning. He said, um, I'm going to say in quote, but it's, it, I'm paraphrasing here, I think, because I haven't had it tattooed on my lower back yet, and I kind of want to, to be honest. And it was, or over my heart, either way. <laughs> he said, you will. So he basically... Good, the sirens are back. Nice. Um, he said, you know, when you've won, you've been to 11 of the last 12 national championships, and you've won nine of the last 12, why would you change? Right. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the thing is, what amazes me about the fact that this was brought up on by Danny Cannell, and I get it. And Dan Danny Cannell's not a bad guy at all. Like, I, I like Danny Cannell now, to be honest. Like, I, now that I think we're in this, like, business a little bit, and I understand more so like what he's doing and I can accept it. It's still annoying sometimes to be like, okay, that can't be a real take. That can't be a real take. And and what I the first thing that came to my mind, and I had to delete several tweets before I sent out the one I sent, but it was, dude, Sanford almost beat your alma mater. Sanford. I know for a fact that's an FCS school. Sanford. 
And you want to go out here talking trash about week, I mean, week 12? And, and, and then I think one of the resounding themes I saw afterwards was, well, I mean, everyone does it in week two. And, like, if everyone starts the season with, with bad teams, Florida does. That's for sure. Florida always does. It seems like every year. You know who doesn't? The SEC. Ole Miss went on the road and played Texas Tech. They were an underdog in that game. Auburn playing Washington. Bama played Louisville, which they are terrible. They are really bad. LSU playing Miami. Uh, I mean, Tennessee played West Virginia. There's a lot of good games early on. The SEC, I feel like, goes out of their way to play in those games. And I'm not saying that the ACC doesn't because, you know, Miami was in that and LSU or and Louisville was in that. I don't think they do it consistently like the SEC does. If people were... If the SEC had been terrible in non-conference play, and if you want to continue to rail on the non-conference schedule, by all means, go ahead. But here's the thing. The SEC was 6-3 and three against Power 5 teams in non-conference play this year. Yep. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And that's before Kentucky you know, beats the tar to Louisville. Um, shout out Bobby Petrino, by the way. Uh, we didn't have a chance. My, funny story. Um, while we were recording the pod the other day, my wife actually texted me mid-pod. Bobby Petrino fired from Louisville. So I probably should have had that update. It would have been breaking news. He sounded out pretty much mid-pod, too. He did, exactly. So that's that's the irony in that. Couldn't have to a better guy, man. Jeez. Um, but, yeah, so getting back to, to Cupcake Week, like the thing about it is that it's kind of, it's one of those things that's just, it's not going to change no matter how no. much people scream about it. And this belief that the SEC is robbing its fans of not getting a, a quality game, I think the end result is more important for SEC fans. And I think the fact that the SEC and ACC are the only two conferences that have made the playoff each and every year in the first yeah. four years of this system is indicative of where the conference scheduling is at right now and the reason that so many coaches don't want to change nick saban discussed this on the sec coaches teleconference and he basically said yeah i'm the only one who's getting in there and saying we should go to nine games and gus melzahn had a quote saying that he wanted to go to nine games as well but i kind of don't blame him for not wanting to go to nine if nobody's forcing you to because you mean you kind of don't blame him you don't blame him (laughs) yeah i don't blame him if i was at the gym and someone was like hey can you bench 250 everyone's doing it no no, I cannot. No one's making me do it. No one's making, So I'm going to keep over here. I'm going to keep doing the little elliptical thing in the leg machine where I close my thighs back and forth. No one's asking me to be in shape. That's kind of a good analogy there, right? That's explained, the, that just explains so much right there. I know. There. It's fine. That, Actually, I've lost, I've lost like eight pounds. Thank you very much. Thanks sick, for noticing. Right? Um, Did you find it yet? Ooh, burn. Went there. Anyway, listen. So here's, here's what I would say about this, and this is what bothers me. When you bring it up in week 12, I get it, and it's smart by Danny Cannell. And he even said, he said, it says, like, somebody responded with, there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. It's smart. Because, they're like, the whole thing is getting as many SEC teams of bowl eligibility and all that kind of stuff. It's smart by the conference. It's smart by the teams. And he agreed. He agreed. But when you talk about, we've waited nine months for football season, right? When it's been a long off season and it's, it's kickoff week. Aren't you more excited about Auburn, Washington, and Ole Miss, Texas Tech, and Miami LSU, and having that first five-day weekend that you can look forward to all summer and pick, and point to the schedule and be like, man, I can't wait for that game, that game. We got a full weekend of college football. I get that this week sucks, and I've been one of the biggest ones like complaining about it, and it's not my favorite week because it's like, dang, we only have like two more weeks left. That being said, I think every fan would agree. One, you want to beat your rival, and if resting, in quotes, a week means doing that, that's fine. The other reason why this really, really surprised me that ACC fans jumped in on this is if you look ahead to, I don't know, next weekend, 
you're about to get your brains beat in by the SEC. Florida State plays Florida. Yep. Georgia Tech plays Georgia. Now, Clemson will probably beat South Carolina. But Kentucky-Louisville, that's another one. Louisville is one of the worst teams in the country. Yeah. Um, Georgia Tech is not going to beat Georgia, and Florida State is not going to beat Florida. So it's a bold move. It is a bold move. And if the other conferences don't like it, then then do it. I mean, we got two <laughs> words for you. you Wait, what? You think the SEC is getting an unfair advantage? I mean, nobody forced all these other conferences to go to nine conference games, and that's nope. as much as it frustrates me. That's the reality of the situation. It feels like the SEC and ACC have this thing figured out, and until everybody wants to get on their levels, it's just complaining for for no reason. So, let's let's move on to a different cupcake week subject, which is Tua Tagovailoa playing against the Citadel. Nick Saban basically said, "I don't think that." Asking about his health going into this game makes any sense. He said that um, that he's fine, that he's over this. Obviously, Saban's just trying to make this not a thing. It's a thing. He's he's the most high-profile player in the country, and he's come up limping in four straight games. It's it's a thing. No matter how much he wants to ignore this. So everybody this week, and I'm I'm one of them. I I, I don't think that that he should be playing. I think you should be able to send Mac Jones out there. I don't care who you put out there. You should be able to get anybody to come and play quarterback at Alabama and feel good about beating the Citadel. But I think. And I, to get into the brain of Saban, I know that's a tall task. That's a really tall task. Big old brain. Covered by a good head of hair. Boom. I think that there's a method to his madness, and here's what it is. You, well, hold on. You think that he's got a reason behind all this? I think he does. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. Contrary to pretty much everything we've said about him in the last three weeks. Um, oh, you my, said. Yeah. My, my theory is, is basic, and that I think, as I said, Tua has gone four straight games, leaving the game where he's maybe maybe he's gone to the tent or maybe he's just had some sort of situation where he's come up limping to, at the end of the game. And I think Saban just wants him to get through his time in the game healthy. He knows that he's going to get all the protection in the world in the offensive line. Saban brought up today that nine out of he had nine he was you know the Alabama quarterbacks have been sacked like nine times in six six times in nine games before this past week. Five times. Um, yeah, something like that. But Saban brought up the stats, so I was trying to quote him. But yeah. Saban, interestingly enough, said, you know, Tua hasn't really been hit much all year. We've done a really good job of protecting from? him. I think a certain Bama homer. Ooh. Oh, I went there. That's fine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Saban is doing this because I think he wants to get Tua mentally right. I think he's a little bit scarred right now, and I think this late in the season, I think he's dealing with a little bit of shell shock. That was yeah. a game that, that he dealt with something new, and I think that he he knows that against you know, the likes of Auburn and Georgia and whoever they're going to face in the playoff, they're probably going to get some hits on Tua. He's going to get hit more than he has so far. I think he wants to sort of, you know, much like... As they often say in football, you kind of just want to get that that first hit out of the way. Just get that, you know, shake the rust off a little bit and just kind of, you know, get some of those nerves off. And I think Saban is more so saying that is why his approach has been this and not we're throwing out a guy who is banged up and we're, you know, we're concerned about his health and we're risking in this game. So those are my thoughts on it. Well, I mean... You're usually wrong, but it seems like you're right on this one. I, I agree with you. Um, you know, it's just it's weird. It's just weird hearing it from somebody else besides me. Because yes, I think he's there's definitely a method to the madness. I think Saban knows what he's doing. I think, I think you're right. I mean, like you, you, he has not been hit all year, and I still think part of it is 
I think he might be. I don't, I'm not. I don't want to say soft. Maybe even though I already. So you're has. backing off the soft. Take. No, I'm not That's... really gonna back off. I think he is soft. I really do. I think he's not used to getting hit, and it's 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 tough to it, like. That is a tough thing to do. Is to for your body to take a pounding, and you know, mentally, it's it's like getting hit in baseball, right? Like if you get hit and you're like you're little, especially, and you know. You're kind of scared of the ball. You don't want to get hit. I have a mm-hmm. friend, Justin Mills, who just got inducted to the Hall of Fame at our at our former college. He hated getting hit. Some people just don't like getting hit. That's fine. And you know, if that becomes like in the forefront of your mind, instead of you know executing other things, and I think it kind of did because he shied away from a lot of it oh, last yeah. week. And, it, and and again, credit to Mississippi State. They were in the backfield. It seemed like every single play, and he was getting hit. And it's not one of those things like you know if he got hit against Tennessee. You know, you got a week off to prepare. You know, back-to-back games against LSU and Mississippi State, that's, I mean, that'll wear on you. He's going to play maybe a quarter and a half in this At game. At most. And yeah. the, the message to the offensive line is he better not get freaking I will touched. cut every single one of you, metaphorically and real physically, and you will be gray-shirted for the rest of your lives. He's going to stay in the pocket. He's going to try and throw his deep balls to, to Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs yeah. if he's healthy. He's going to try and just get into some of those passes early on. If everything goes perfect, this game for, for Saban, this game is 28 to nothing at the end of the first quarter, yep. and he looks down at the end of his bench and says, ah, Mac Jones, why don't you get out there and get, get a little bit of run for you? Um, Mac th- Jones says, pr- I'm not going. Tua, you go 60 minutes. What a twist that would be. <laughs> Cupcake week would get interesting in a hurry if we saw that. Awesome. Yeah. I'm on board. No, but I think uh, you're right. It's going to be a glorified walkthrough. They're going to be, you know, if they could go out there in shells, they would. And and he's, and I mean shells, like, not like with a shell around him for protection. I mean, like, helmets, pads, shorts. Um, Thought yeah, we were taking on AR-15s, brother. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Can't wait to celebrate with my AR-15s. No, I, I just I think you're right. I think he's out there for a quarter at most. You put Mac Jones in. Maybe I, I haven't read up on how Jalen's doing. Still think Saban's probably questioning that decision. But I think you're right. You get him back into his comfort zone. Get the confidence back more than anything. But I'm putting him there for two drives. If you go down there two drives and score like you should, take him out. Yeah. I think there will be a lot of Alabama fans very nervously watching that on Saturday, though. So Alabama is a team that, clinched its 15th number one ranking of the playoff era, which is incredible because there have been 28 total, and over half of them, obviously, for all you math majors, have gone to Alabama. Some they play football, Connor. At Alabama, we live it. So last night we watched the most uneventful playoff ranking show ever because the top 10 stayed exactly the same for the first time in the history of the playoff poll. Pretty incredible to think about, but... There were some things that I thought were significant, and maybe not, not necessarily SEC specific, but there were, I thought, at least some takeaways from the playoff poll. One of them being, everybody has been wondering about Ohio State. And this whole, can they control their own fate, not their own destiny, shout out Peter Burns, who has corrected us many <laughs> times on that. Um, can Ohio State win out and make the field? And does UCF still have a chance? So those two things are significant because Ohio State came in at number 10. UCF comes in at number 11, of course. And then we see the stat that 2015 Michigan State was the lowest ranked team this late in the season to make the playoff. They, of course, were at number nine. They end up winning the Big Ten Championship against Iowa, getting into the playoff, and then ultimately... I don't know what you know, happened. It didn't go well for them after that. But, so here's the thing. 
those two teams, Ohio State and UCF, are trying to do something that's never been accomplished before. And oh, by the way, Ohio State um, is also trying to become the first team to make the playoff with a loss by more than 23 points. Last year, Georgia losing to Auburn was the most lopsided loss a playoff team has ever had in the regular season. So, Ohio State trying to accomplish some history. I, I'm not going to rule Ohio State out, but the, the belief the belief that Ohio State controls its own fate, the fact that the Buckeyes are still at number 10, despite the fact that they went into East Lansing and won by 20 points, that's significant. That's very, Agreed. very significant. It's, and I will say this, and you guys all you guys all know, I'm going to say this for both teams. You know how much I, I dislike, screw it, hate both these teams. You? And I, I can't say it's because the fan bases and... And again, like I know that I'm a Bama fan, and we have some pretty questionable fans, uh, me being one of them. But Ohio State and UCF, I don't like either of them. I'm going to say this. I think I was definitely surprised where they were both at this week. I think they might have gotten the raw end of the deal this week. Why? Because, so part of me was, maybe it's just a healthy fear that Ohio State was going to move up a decent amount this week. And just kind of like the playoff committee is, it's a national brand, at some point, you're going to think that they should be higher than 10. I was, I mean, I laughed last week when they were behind Kentucky, and I think they obviously should have been ahead of Kentucky now, but Ohio State went on the road against Michigan State. This is a team that the, the playoff committee valued that they put into the top 25, right? But it's no longer in the top 25. Right, but they put the in loss, that week yeah. at 23, yeah, yeah. right? They go on the road, they beat them, and this is a game that hasn't, you know, even recently gone well for Ohio State. 2015, especially. I, I was impressed with what Ohio State did. I mean, I, I, an 18-point win? Is that what it was? Twenty. I think it was a 20-point win because it was, what, Even 20, better. 20, Even better. Yeah. 20, all right, so they go on the road and beat them. I was impressed by that. I, kind of, I was kind of surprised they didn't move up a little bit. Ohio State is still in jeopardy of not making the field behind two SEC teams because, I, and I'm going to say this because I don't think Georgia's going to beat Alabama or anything like that, but if Georgia... If a one-loss Georgia team beats an undefeated Alabama team, both of those teams are getting in ahead of Ohio State. It's it's it comes down to resume, and Ohio State's resume. It doesn't matter. Ohio State's resume is still not good. They have one win against a current top twenty-five team, and that was a game that was a nail biter at Penn State, a Penn State team that many people have questioned about. And this is still going to be potentially it's a playing game against Michigan, and you got to you got to beat an uh, you hope an eight and four Northwestern. You're right. That's the thing, and. You look at what Georgia's done the last three weeks. Last three weeks, they've demolished ranked teams yeah. week after week, and that is going to be significant. So as we talk about Ohio State, I think a lot of people were surprised to see the Buckeyes not jump last night, but the resume just still isn't there, and that's, no. that's what this comes down to. And if you're UCF, so we bring up the stat before about how Michigan State at number nine was the lowest ranked team this late in the season to ever make the field. UCF's still sitting there at number 11. Do we really think... Nope. That all of a sudden, the first team to ever be ranked that low and make the field play the rest of the season. is going to be a group of five team? No chance. No. And so here's the thing. And I, I don't like UCF. And I said this last year. And I, I'm not going back on the fact that their strength of schedule is garbage. I'm not going back on the fact that I think they could compete with these people. But here's where I'd be upset if I was a UCF fan. And that is this. Why have us in the rankings if there's never going to be a chance for us to get into the top four. You have created a system, and they are in the conference that they are allowed to be in, and they are playing the schedule that is, you know, that, that is their schedule. I don't think they were trying to dodge UNC. They beat Pitt by like 21 points, and I don't think Pitt's necessarily a great team. 
but it's a power five school, all that kind of stuff. At this point, what do you, what do we want them to do? What does the playoff want the committee want them to do? Because it, like I would be, I'd they, be they want them to be Houston. They want them to be twenty sixteen Houston, where Houston beat Oklahoma to start the season and then had That's a chance fair. to potentially make the playoff. That's what they want a group of five team to do. Now, what is going to be significant is this weekend, UCF is, of course, hosting College Game Day, which is going to be a big deal. Cincinnati gets into the top 25. It's going to be a very popular topic of discussion. UCF fans are going to be chirping at SEC people because UCF's playing a ranked team and a bunch of SEC teams aren't. I get all of that. Yeah. I get it. But here's the thing. This is still going to come down to resume. And the problem is that once UCF beats Cincinnati, Cincinnati falls out of the top 25. And every team that they face from here on out, even if they do get into the top 25, they're falling out. And yeah. that's there's no way that this team is going to have the resume, barring no, some I, I massive, yeah. barring some massive like everybody all of a sudden just goes 2017 Miami mode where they crap the bed down the stretch right. and we have a bunch of these conference champs that don't deserve to be there. And even then, this late in the season, it's still hard to see a scenario like that happening. So I, I, I just, think that the nail is pretty much they, in the coffin. I don't know what they want. And, and again, like I don't like UCF. I don't like their fans. I don't like any of the stuff they say on Twitter. I hate their strength of schedule. And the fact that they think they like, they, I, you can't seriously think that you belong with the teams that you're calling out. You don't want Bama. You don't want Bama. And I don't think they want a team that is, like, excited to get ready for me. I'll tell you what, right now, the Fiesta Bowl projections of them playing LSU, that is the ultimate, and per, not ultimate, that is the perfect matchup for an SEC team to play UCF because that is a team that is talented enough. I, UCF could beat Kentucky. I'm going to throw that out there. LSU, when you have a master motivator like Coach O, I would love to see that matchup. But it's just at this point, it's like, what do you want the group of five to do? Don't include them in the rankings if there's no chance that they are going to move up, because because even 11. Now, nah, see, I, I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I think it's the AAC that's hurt them more than anything, and I, I know people are sick of, of us talking about about UCF. It's the it's the strength of record and the fact that yeah. all these teams that they beat have had really bad seasons have been and have underperformed. That's what this. Comes I, I, to. I agree with you on that. I'm just saying, I would be I could understand the sense of frustration because it's if if it's not even going to like, I would I would almost rather them be ranked higher, knowing they're not they're probably like. I don't know. They're not going to get in over like better resumes, but it's it's. I, I don't know. I don't know I, how I feel. I encourage you to practice safe tweeting on Saturday nope. when game day is hosting. Uh, UCF is hosting college game. I got day. a bottle um, of Nugenics and a bunch of testosterone pills. We are going to fight the world. I already tried to yesterday. Just wait till Saturday. Our friends over at Bud Light always tell us to tweet responsibly. What else do they tell us, Marler? Well, this episode of the podcast, the SDS Podcast, is brought to you by Bud Light. Fewer things go better together than college football and ice-cold Bud Light. Few off the top of my head, I don't know, cupcakes in Week 12, uh, UCF fans and jaded anger, um, misguided anger at that. But, and college football and Bud Light, of course. Bud Light is game day's favorite light lager. We've been working with the fine folks at Bud Light now for a few years. They do amazing stuff with college football fans, as some of you will hopefully see Shortly from our trip to Athens, um, a couple years ago we did a little joint tailgating tour around the southeast, and we are doing it again to close out the regular season. Now, Bud Light is sending us to Tuscaloosa, or sending me to Tuscaloosa um, for the Bama Auburn game to do some interview with fans, and us to the SEC Championship game for fans. And you know, I might do a little sponsorship myself this weekend via the internet with Bud Light, and a little tailgating tour myself, making fun of UCF fans. I don't know. I don't know. 
But uh, Saturdays are better down south with Bud Light, that is for sure. Bud Light celebrates college football and reminds all fans to enjoy the game and drink responsibly. Notice I left that one part out. You didn't say tweet this time because I already Not this it. time. Oh, Me and my friend Bud Light, we're going to have ourselves a time on Saturday. Luke Del Rio tweets uh, responsibly. Luke tweets responsibly. We could say that. He Honestly. Tweets, he tweets honestly. That's probably the better way to say that. Uh, we had a fun interview with uh, with Luke. We talked about a lot of things. And we got into all these great cupcake matchups. And, of course, the drama that unfolded with him on Saturday This with, uh, you know, Felipe Franks and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, let's go to our interview with Luke Del Rio. We're excited to be joined once again. Good friend of the podcast. You know him. It's Luke Del Rio. Luke, uh, before we dig into everything, what's your favorite kind of cupcake? Favorite kind of cupcake? Uh, red velvet. Good choice. Good choice. I had like three of those a couple weeks ago. Really, really good choice. Um, okay, let's let's talk about it. Uh, we we're gonna we're gonna go through picks and all that stuff for Cupcake Week. But before we get into all that stuff, we we've got a. I want you to provide some context on what went down Saturday. And in case you missed it, you know, we talked about this on the podcast on Sunday, but basically on the broadcast during the Florida South Carolina game, uh, Dave Pash and Greg McElroy bring up the tweet that you threw out there on Twitter about if Dan Mullen starts Felipe Franks, you worry that he could lose the fan base, to which Felipe Franks responded with a thumbs up. And Greg McElroy took the chance to say that we don't need that. Like, Florida doesn't need that right now. And it was just kind of questioning what your motives were and all that. So we've already shared our piece on that. So I want to kind of step aside and just kind of get your reaction to that entire thing, the way that all of this went down. Yeah, and, you know, Greg... Greg took the, uh, the liberty to tell me to keep my mouth shut on national television, putting a tweet that I had completely out of context up on ESPN, which a good amount of tweets, if you just put them up, you know, if it's not like an article or you're not publishing anything, it's just a tweet and you just put it up, a lot of them look ridiculous. A lot of them do. And that's what they did. They didn't say, you know, this tweet was sent on Monday. This tweet was sent before Kyle Trask was injured. This tweet was sent you know, right after Felipe had been benched and was not going to play this week. And the entire fan base was begging for anybody but Felipe. And I sent that out. And the vast majority of people that saw it were like, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, we're, we're kind of going to question Dan Mullen's decision-making if he can't see how bad Felipe has been playing the past two weeks. And if he really gives us the best chance to win, then what do we have with the other quarterbacks? Are they that bad? Or are they that, you know, unprepared? So the tweet made complete sense. He was at risk of losing the fan base, and that's a fact. And they proved me right in two different ways on Saturday. They didn't show up to the game. The stadium was embarrassingly empty on kickoff or at kickoff. And then they're like, well, yeah, we, we, we showed up later. It's like, no, not really. The students didn't. And then a lot of you left when you were down by 17. And you booed Felipe slash the entire team into oblivion for an entire half. So you can say all you want about that's ridiculous. You proved me right. You really did. And for Felipe to respond, I texted him because he has my number. He could have texted me. And he could have avoided a lot of this. He responded to me on Twitter, and I texted him, hey, man, if you have a problem with me, how about you text me so you don't create a firestorm that you're going to have to deal with over the past five days? 
I don't mind dealing with it because that's all I'm doing right now is media. But if I was playing, this would be the last thing that I want to deal with. So he's like, you're right. That's my bad. I, I took it out of context, as did everybody. But, you know, I just think that it got really blown out of proportion with Greg McElroy clearly not doing his homework for the broadcast, which was, you know, pretty unprofessional. And then just taking a jab at me, somebody who's, you know, introducing themselves into the media because I can't be critical of my former team, which, by the way, he's critical of his former team <laughs> all the time. All the time. All the time. So it just it, it, it reeks of hypocrisy. And, um, you know, I've met Greg. He's a nice guy. I just expected a little more from him as a professional. Okay, so a lot of the stuff that you said there, I, I think is is perfectly fair and accurate. And I think that what struck me as odd was that, and I said this on Sunday, was that they brought it up in the middle of the first quarter. And that to me, the way you know the way that these things work. You've been in these production meetings where you meet with the announcers beforehand, you talk about game plans, all that stuff. That felt like a premeditated thing to bring up. Almost as if someone within the Florida within the Florida you know, program said, hey, we want this out in the open. And almost like this is kind of a rallying cry for Florida. Did you feel like this whole thing, just the way in the context that it was brought up, was premeditated and it almost felt like it was a Florida initiative to get this out there? Yeah, it smelled a little bit because, you know, the way that broadcasts work is they'll have like, you know, let's say there's a lull in the game. There's a lot of injuries or there's, um, you know, the pace of play is just really slow and they have extra breaks. Well, they'll have to kind of fill that airtime with something. And usually those kind of extra breaks come in the second half when they've already broken the glass on their, you know, five to ten talking points. But you're right. This was in the first quarter. And they put it up on the screen. It's not like they were like, hey, by the way, did you happen to see that tweet, you know, that, that Luke Del Rio, former quarterback, said? No, they posted it up on the broadcast. Thank you for the free publicity, by the way. So it did feel a little premeditated, especially the way that the commentators, you know, set it up. Greg, what do you think about this? Oh, well, you know, he, he said whatever he said. I just, you know, I would have expected a little more um, background and, and homework and context, you know, within that. If it was that premeditated, it's like, okay, you were prepared to say it, but you didn't really – you know, do your due diligence on the situation. So, you know, just kind of uh, spoke to the execution of it, I guess. Luke, one of the reasons that we like having you on is because you are so honest and you throw everything out there. And to me, I've always, I've always appreciated the fact that you're not like when, when you talk to a lot of former players, it's always pro player this, pro player that, and you oh, like you always hear former players take the side of a player. And I think you just throw out your opinion. I honestly think that. And we, we threw this out the other day about how Florida fans think that you hate Florida because, you know, you had these comments out there. And I'm sure you had tons of people tweeting at you. And I'm sure there are people who are going to tweet at us being like, why do you keep talking to Luke Del Rio? He hates Florida, blah, blah, blah. What would you say to people who are of that opinion and think that you are just got this axe to grind with, with Florida and you're doing whatever you can to just sort of, you know, cause, cause sort of this controversy and this drama within that program? Well, I'll say this. The, the intelligent Florida fans realize what I'm doing. I'm literally just saying what I believe, and I'm supporting it with facts and, and my personal history being on the team and growing up in an NFL family and my entire background. If they want to live in an echo chamber, then do not listen to me because I'm not going to say what everybody else is saying. One, that's boring. 
two, I usually don't believe a lot of what everybody else is saying. You know, some of the stuff that Florida fans say is absolutely insane. And I have to tell them, like, hey, you guys sound crazy. You sound, you sound crazy right now. Like, do you realize what you're saying? Like, you know, somebody was saying, why don't we just start Emory the rest of the year? It's like, do you, do you not want to win the games? Like, yes, he's a talented player. Emory is the true freshman. He's not ready to play. He's played in some games. They threw him in against Georgia. It's a terrible idea. He wasn't ready. And everybody's saying, Let's start him against, you know, for the bowl game. It's like, do you not care about the bowl game now? That, that, that could be our 10th win. Stuff like that. It's just, I, I don't really care about being liked. I, I don't. And if I wanted to be liked, I could just tweet, Florida's the best, Florida's the best, Florida's the best, all day long, and people would love it. But that's not really getting me anywhere. And there's enough people that tweet like that or that post like that. So I think what's valuable, especially with this clickbait society that we live in now, and some people think that some of my stuff is hot takey and clickbaity. It's not. I, I literally say what I genuinely believe or what I genuinely think is going to happen. And that's it. Yeah, I can't, I can't fault you. You're here that. first. Let's, Florida's the best. <laughs> let's, uh, let's kick it to, to picks. We, we, we're interested to get your thoughts on on uh, the, the Cupcake Week slate and all these games. So, uh, Uncle Chris, why don't you set us I up? I thought we were doing... I thought I thought we were gonna do one more little segment here based oh, on the quarterbacks. That's oh, right. Okay, how so conveniently yeah. you forgot. How I'll, I'll, I'll run this part of it. Luke, I'm glad Go you ahead. joined us today. Speaking of hot takes, <laughs> last week my man Connor, I'm gonna call him No Guerra because he's wrong. Boom, wow. roasted. Wow. Um, I don't mean that. Sorry, Connor. That was I'm projecting on you. Um, okay, so Connor O'Gara last week he did a ranking of the top quarterbacks that are on playoff contending teams that you would take in a must-win, two-minute situation. Do I have the parameters correct, Connor? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, and we got into an argument because I said I would take Ian Book probably top two or three, um, or at least, what, top, uh, and and Haskins probably top five, uh, in a must-win situation because the tools, the people around him, all that stuff. And then Connor made a point about uh, about Ian Book that um, he's only started six games. And then, lo and behold, my man had that beautiful, beautiful mane of hair, Trevor Lawrence, at four ahead of Jake Fromm. So I just want to know where you would rank. We obviously had two of first. I think he had Kyler Murray second. I was a little bit uh, hesitant on Kyler Murray. I think I was probably a little bit wrong on that. Uh, he had Wilger third, Trevor I had Wilger second, Kyler Murray third. Oh, okay. I was trying to help you out, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence four, five was uh, from who do you have at six, Connor? Six was Haskins. Haskins. Okay, I thought it would be burned into my memory because I was so upset about it. But and then Ian Book was dead last, correct? No, he was second to last. Gardner Minshew was dead last. Yeah. Okay. That's. I had Shea Patterson yeah. at seven. Whoa, Shea Patterson at seven. Respect. Ian Book at eight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we want to get what you think about that. Whoa, so Shea Patterson should be last on that list? <laughs> yes. I mean, he's borderline Joe Burrow. Um, okay. Whoa. I'll, I'll, I'll list them. Two is obviously first, and, and that's, you know, if anybody wants to debate, they can waste their breath on that. With the refs. <laughs> uh, number two, there's like a couple names that are kind of in the same echelon for me. Um, I put, obviously, Kyler Murray, Jake Fromm and probably Trevor Lawrence. I'm not going to put Trevor Lawrence at two because he's a freshman. He's a true freshman. 
If he hasn't started this entire season, I haven't seen him against great competition yet because the ACC is that bad this year. So I'd probably put Kyler Murray at two just because he can create the most himself. Um, yep. Number three, I'd put Jake Fromm just over Trevor Lawrence. Look, he's not as talented, but he has way more experience. He started way more games. He played in the national championship last year, almost won it. And then four, I'd probably have uh, Trevor Lawrence. After that, wow. kind of getting to the next tier, I'd probably have uh, Will Greer at five, uh, Dwayne Haskins at six. And then here's one that will probably surprise you. I'm actually going to go McKenzie Milton, even though he's at 11. I'm going to put him oh, at God. seven. Because I think, once again, he can create more than most. And I, I like him for a game. I don't like him for the whole playoff or, or three or four games because I think he's going to get hurt if he plays against these big physical defenses that many games in a row. Um, and then, you know, after that, you got Gardner Minshew. I'd probably put right there. And then uh, Shea Patterson and then Joe Burrow. Did I miss anybody? Oh, I, I did. did. Yeah. Well, Joe Burrow is in Playoff contending teams. Well, it's top ten. What? They're all playoff contending. I don't even so think McKenzie Milton in there. No, we didn't Ian have McKenzie Milton in there. Ian Book, I'd, I'd put right after uh, Trevor Lawrence. So Tua, Kyler Murray, um, Jake Fromm, Trevor Lawrence, and then Ian Book. Wow. Then get into the Will Greer, Dwayne Haskins. Yep. So, okay, see, so you Will, think Ian Will, Book is better than Will? See, the thing with Will, Will's style scares me because he can be off and they're going to lose by a lot. Like it, it is I don't very like beers. dependent on it is very dependent on him making a lot of deep throws. And he can do it, but high risk, high reward. And you're gonna play against Alabama's DBs, Clemson's DBs, Georgia's DBs. It's just not gonna go well. So uh yeah, he's he's that far down. Dang. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. All right. I, I think I think that Follow you kind of question. <laughs> go ahead, Cutter. No, 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 you go ahead. Follow question. Do you think Ian Book can throw a football more than 30 yards downfield? Yes, I do. Okay. I didn't say I that he couldn't throw a football more than 30 yards. I said he doesn't choose to throw a football more than 30 yards. We'll check the tapes on that. I mean, they're not they're not in the playoff, but Jared Stidham, like, hasn't been all <laughs> Ever. <laughs> like, like well, ever. I mean, yeah. in his in his defense, he has um, swing passes to throw, uh, pop passes mm-hmm. to deliver. Um, come on, yeah, this no, is, I'm not. I, I do blame Malzahn much more than him. Obviously, he has to execute, but like, dude, you have an NFL quarterback. What are you doing? You're, yep. you're playing. Yep. You're playing like you, you know, you have a guy that you need to manage, like Felipe back there, which is fine, but that's not his strong suit. Yeah. All right. These are these are all fair focus, fair uh, points. Pro Football Focus had a stat last week that Auburn um, Auburn's average depth per pass, like length that they were throwing, was uh, eight point like one yards. It was like a third fewest in, in Division One. So interesting stuff there. But we're gonna move on to the picks for this week for Cupcake Week. Uncle Chris with his friends Luke and Connor. Conair. Remember that, Connor? Remember that joke? Oof, that's a good one. Yeah, that was really good. Really good. Original. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> so, we are uh, going to move into this week. It's not a great slate of games, per se. But, luckily, um, the friends at MyBookie and out in Vegas, you know, gave us a little uh, little 
I guess we got like four more spreads that we didn't realize we were going to get, Connor. So we got a lot of degenerate gambling ahead of us this weekend. First and foremost, let's kick it off in Athens, UMass. UMass without Marcus Camby and John Calipari head to Athens, Georgia. They are a 47.5 point underdog against the Bulldogs from Georgia. Luke, who you got? UMass all day. And the reason why is UMass was actually my <laughs> first. I'm serious. UMass was my oh, first. Oh, sh- okay. And, and oh. I got UMass plus 47. That team plays so hard. And they play, if you look at their schedule, they play like four or five like really big programs every year. It's one of their selling points in recruiting. I've got UMass and very confidently so plus 47. Luke, you just uh, talked me into it. I, I was thinking, I was thinking Georgia fifty-one to three. Now I'm going to say like forty-two to three. I'm give, give me all yeah. those points. I agree, UMass. Yep. Yep. My first start came against North Greenville, playing second base. Uh, I think I went one <laughs> for three and was taken out in the ninth <laughs> inning. And Giuseppe Rivas had a pinch hit home run to win the game, so I was never needed again. Anyway, <laughs> that being said. <laughs> um, that being said, UMass is giving up an average of 40.8 points per game. That's real bad. Real bad. Uh, real bad. And like 465 yards on defense. Uh, I like the way Georgia's playing. UMass does have like two different receivers that are in the top 10 nationally um, in a stat that I can't remember right now, but they're up there. And I like Georgia to cover. So if you're both wrong, that's what I'm getting at. Moving on to the next one Missouri. Actually, let's, say, let's save that one. Let's go Middle Tennessee State, the Blue Unicorns. Heading to Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky is a 16-and-a-half-point favorite uh, if they decide to wake up and stop crying on the bathroom floor after the last two weeks. Luke, who you got? That line is pretty insulting. 16-and-a-half? Yeah. Against Middle Tennessee State? I mean, I guess I'll take Kentucky. Thank you. But usually when the line is this absurd, Vegas knows something. So I'm nervous. But... Yeah, I'll take 16 and a half. They should, I mean, talent-wise, they should beat this team by 30, at least. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's saying a lot considering what we've seen from the from the Kentucky offense. But I'm going to agree with you, and here's why. Middle Tennessee has been outscored by two SEC teams, one of which was Vandy. Uh, they lost to Vandy 35-7. They lost to Georgia 49-7. So uh, added up, do the math. That's like what eighty-four to fourteen combined um, by SEC teams. So I know Kentucky did not. Kentucky didn't line it, light it up in non-conference play necessarily. But I think that they actually respond, given that they kind of got their oh we're hungover, we can't put anything together game out of the way last week. I think Kentucky actually finds a way to to cover this one. Wins this game like I don't know, like twenty eight to seven or something well uh, okay so i didn't get my first start at middle tennessee state but that's where i started college and i hated it so uh my blue raiders i don't want to say i'm alumni or anything like that but i am going to be partial to them this weekend and here is why kentucky is giving up an average of 428 yards in their past two games that makes sense against a team like georgia not against tennessee tennessee is terrible on offense uh, Middle Tennessee State has won their last four games against really good competition. You ever heard of Old Dominion? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's that. They beat them 51-17. to 17. Um, I, Kentucky, so something's wrong with Kentucky, um, I feel like, over the past couple weeks. I, I think they've just, you know, somehow, sometimes when it's like the, the, it's like seasonal affective disorder. You get really upset. You have to get one of those lamps. I think Kentucky needs one of those lamps. So I'm going to take Middle Tennessee State to cover. Uh, next game, Liberty. 
at Auburn. Liberty led by our good friend Buckshot Calvert uh, going on down to the Plains. What time is this game at, by the way? Please say noon. No, it's a 4 that's, o'clock that's start. That's got noon so it's not. It's not brunch what? of the barn. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, there's Well, there's four different 12 o'clock games this week. So this is not going to be a brunch of the barn situation, but Auburn welcomes Liberty. They are a 28-point favorite. Luke, who you got? I mean, I guess Auburn, but has there been a more disappointing team this year? You know, they opened up at what, eight, maybe higher than that? I, I don't remember when uh, when they beat Washington, and they had playoff hopes and all of that, and they've just slowly fallen apart. Mid-season, their offense disappeared. Like, nobody knows what that was. For a team that averages, or they, they like to average close to 200 rushing yards a game, they had under 100, around 90, for three consecutive games. Uh, so I have no confidence in them. I would probably take money line because I'm such a coward. But I got <laughs> Auburn, can't. I guess, to cover. <laughs> take the money line with a 28-point spread. I love take it. Take the money line. Uh, take the money yeah. line. Minus 18,000. <laughs> um, you know, this is, this is tough for Auburn just because of the fact that it is sandwiched between the, the Georgia beatdown and what we expect to be a Bama beatdown. So I think this is actually uh, like low key a game that they get excited for because they don't have to see one of those two teams. So I, I, as strange as it sounds, I'm going to say that Auburn actually is able to to somehow put up 35 points or something like that and win this game. I think just to, just not seeing someone that's like a big West big or a, you know a, you know like this one of these big West powers. Uh, that you know they've been basically seeing for the last month. Um, I think that kind of puts a little giddy up in their step, and they cover. Big West powers they've seen for the last month: Texas A&M and Ole Miss. But that being said, Liberty Flames coming in hot. I, I mean, you guys know I love Buckshot Calvert. Um, mm-hmm. There's a picture of him on top of that old Corvette. That's a patriotic themed Corvette where he's rocking a white tux. Uh, and a mullet, and I mean, to be honest, it's framed above my mantle. I'm not going to lie to you. It's creepy, but whatever. I, I, I celebrate him. Um, that being said, I'm not going to celebrate this defense from Liberty. They are giving up 39 points a game and 509 yards a game. So, Gus Malzahn, I think, it's against all odds, maybe stays out of his own way and finally gets it right, and, and they cover the 28-point spread. But, you know, honestly, maybe not. We'll see. Maybe the money line is the best bet, Luke. Um, moving on to the next game here, we've got uh, Rice. Rice heads to LSU, and LSU is a 42-point favorite. Luke, who you got? Ooh, this is the same same program that lost to Troy last year, right? Or was that two yeah. years ago? Yeah, yeah. What was uh, last year? 42, 42 is a lot. 42 is too much for me. I don't, I don't really trust that offense to score that many points. Unless their defense is going to score two or three touchdowns themselves. Um, I like Rice. So Rice comes into this game having lost 10 in a row. Um, <laughs> yeah. Real bad. Real, real bad. I know they're bad. begging real you. Bad. They're begging you to take Rice because we've seen the LSU offense just not necessarily put its foot on the gas. I know they had a tough time getting going last week against Arkansas. People are going to go back to the Louisiana Tech game and say this offense can't put up that kind of a game. I have no idea how Rice is going to score a point on the LSU defense. Um, uh, even though LSU doesn't necessarily have a division title to play for anymore, I think they actually get up for this one. think that this ends up still being 
LSU covering. It's, it's one of those spreads that's so big that uh, I, I just I can't I can't take a team that's lost ten in a row to cover. I just can't. That's why they're due for one. No, I don't I don't mean that at all. Tell you what, the only time I like rice down in Louisiana is when it's on my jambalaya. Am I right, boys? Woo-wee! Uh, I don't, I'm sorry for that. I don't know. I, I'll see myself out. Um, yeah, rice is terrible. They are awful. They, uh, they, they've they lost 10, 10 in a row, and I think LSU, uh, I'm going to say they cover, and I'm going to say it with this. And Nick Brissett, if you're listening, um, if you guys are up by 41 and you have a chance to go in the end zone not once but twice, and you lay down on the ground, I will never sing the praises of Coach O again on this podcast. Okay, that's about as big as he's, a threat I can give. If if they're up by that much, he's not going to be in at the end of the game. They're going to go to, like, Leonard Fournette's cousin or something like that off the bench. Lennard? I mean, no, not even Lennard. Lennard's going to be out if they're up by 42 or 35, whatever it is. They're going to go, they're going to find, like, another descendant, a Fournette descendant, and bring him in or something. I mean, they're going to be, Either way, if Connor, it's that kind of game. The point is made. Either way. Either way. We Fair need enough. to cover spread Fair this enough. week. We don't need to do what happened happened last week. Okay, let's move True. on to uh, the last non-con game with a line on it. UAB, the surprise team of the country. Uh, it They are going to College Station. They are a 17-point underdog. The Mighty Dragons, or Blazers, fire-breathing things, uh, are playing... The Aggies. So, Luke, who you got? Wait, last non-conference game. I think you're missing one. I hope so. Which one is it? Oh, there's not a line. Yeah, but that doesn't have a spread. Doesn't have a spread yet. Oh, okay. So what was the line for this one? For the UAB? 17. Oh, yeah. A&M. 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 Jimbo will, will make sure that they're ready. I think they play LSU next week. He won't let the team look ahead. I have a lot of respect for Jimbo Fisher. Just look at where FSU is and look at where Texas A&M is. Like, people say, yeah, FSU was bad last year, though. He said, yeah, FSU was bad last year, though. It's like, yeah, but they weren't quite this pathetic. And they had a lot of really, really severe injuries at key spots, i.e. DeAndre Francois' first game of the season, who hasn't really been the same since that injury. Um I have a lot of respect for him. And Kellen Mond, just the progression that he has had this year. I love A&M uh, minus 17. Okay, so Jimbo, you said that he's going to have him up for this one. I agree with that after not, what he said this week about UAB. Down. Or at least yeah. not down, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> UAB comes into this as like kind of the – they're the, the feel-good – maybe the feel-good story in college football this year. They're 9-1. and one. Bill Clark's got that thing rolling. Jimbo said that they have the best defense in the country. I mean, yeah, I, that, that to me is, uh, that, that says it all about how seriously he's taking this matchup. Earlier in this week, I think I would have said UAB is going to cover. Maybe they're a little bit tougher than what we expected. But I guess I just, I'm, I'm still burned from last year after I picked UAB to beat Florida outright. And then they laid that egg. So, uh, yeah, give me, give me A&M to cover in this one. Wait, you picked you picked them to beat Florida outright? Luke, 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 Luke. The it's, it's not, it's not personal. We're Luke, so Luke, come on. You were you were injured. I thought there was no chance whatsoever that you know that they would be able to, to that that Florida would be able to to muster up the energy down the stretch. Hey, no if you had been out there, it's a different story. No need to backpedal. <laughs> this is unreal. Oh, I'm backpedaling. <laughs> I am backpedaling hard right now. Yeah, but all right, give me the Aggies. 
Oh my gosh, is this little bro fest over with? Because I'm going to say UAB. Here's a little fun fact for you guys. UAB didn't have a football program two years ago. And yeah, they don't have the best defense in the country. I think we all know where that, that lies. And don't say Ann Arbor, Connor. Um, UAB <laughs> is giving up 13.2 points per game. They're giving up 261.5 yards per game. And I get it. They play in the, I don't know what conference. What is it, Sunbelt Conference USA? Uh, they're in Conference USA. Who knows? Ugh. Okay, well, I think if there's anything I love, it's the USA. Right? Double thumbs up. They are 8-2 and two against the spread, y'all. 8-2. and two. That is second best in the country. I'm going to take them to cover, even though Jimbo Fisher, and I, yeah, that was very nice, everything you said about him, Luke. I, I tend to disagree with that because I think that's why he, he left FSU in disarray. I think that was more so his fault. But that's neither here nor there. Ooh. UAB is going to cover the spread. And we are going to move on to something we can all agree Wait, on. Wait, hold on. And that is old. What, real, what? Real quick. One one quick thought on this that I just realized popped in the old brain hole. Um, Jim, did, I, did Jimbo say that UAB has the best defense in the country or that the best defense in the country lies in Birmingham? Because if he said the latter, he could have been talking about the SEC offices, talking about Alabama conspiracy, conspiracy Ooh, theories and man. how they're able to defend that. That's going deep on my brain. Connor, so I'm really, just want to throw really that out there. I'm really glad that we took the extra 28 seconds for you to, to do that. Um, I... <laughs> We're moving on to the last one. We ain't got time for all the conspiracy theories this week. You want a conspiracy theory? I'll give you one. Gary Patterson is just Kirby Smart from the future. Boom, moving on. Ole Miss and Vandy. Nash, Vegas. Vanderbilt at night. Death, taxes, and no one gets out alive at Commodore Stadium. Is that what it's called? Anyway, they are a three-point favorite over the Rebels of Ole Miss. (laughs) This is... This used to be like a fun Jefferson Pilot game at 12.30. This is now a 7.30 primetime game. So who you got, Luke? I can't believe Vandy's actually favored in the game. Wow. Um, I actually, I love Ole Miss. I love Ole Miss plus three. Their offense is explosive. Um, Jordan Tom, who has been kind of up and down this year, but he scored a lot of points. And, the, the few games I have watched him, he takes too many chances, but I kind of think that's what the offense calls for. When you have uh, DK Metcalf and AJ Brown out there, yeah, I would throw it up too. So uh, I love Ole Miss, and I think they're going to win outright. I'm going to agree with you that Ole Miss wins outright. I think it's another comeback scenario. Vandy has not been able to hold on to these leads for whatever reason. Vandy just has been crumbling down the stretch. They lost, you know, lost a. a two-possession lead in the second half against Mizzou. They, of course, lost the big lead against Florida. I think that this is another game where Ole Miss is is trailing, uh, and Vandy's, Vandy's ahead, maybe even by two scores, but Ole Miss is built to come back from this. I think they sort of fixed some of these issues that they've had in the red zone. I, I saw a stat. It was something like they only have six passing touchdowns in 46 red zone trips. I think water finds its level. Those receivers are too good not to get the ball down uh, near the goal line. I think that Ole Miss is able to, to get rolling, and this ends up being a, a nice comeback win for Ole Miss heading into the egg bowl. So, once again, you're both wrong, and let me tell you why. Keyshawn Vaughn, as Connor likes to call him, the Red Mamba. Um, that was a pretty good voice I just did there, guys. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn leads the <laughs> SEC in, in yards per carry in conference games. Ole Miss's defense is so bad. It is so bad. I, there, I don't. There's not an appropriate metaphor or analogy I can use on air right now, but they're all really bad. 
Landshark. Landshark. Um, Landshark. Yeah, they are, they are. Their defense is, in, I mean, like historically bad. And so what worries me about Ole Miss is, and I've been high on them all year. Um, I thought they would cover last week, and they found a way not to do that. Um, I don't think I don't think Vandy has a great defense, but Jordan Tamu, as much as great as he's been through the air, he leads the SEC in passing yards by a lot. Uh, he's only thrown for two touchdowns the past two weeks. Uh, the offense just has not been clicking as much, and I think that I'm, Vanderbilt's not a tough road environment by any means, but I think that maybe Vegas is finally right. And, by the way, this line opened at one, and it's been bought up in favor of Vandy. I'm going to take Vandy to win and cover the spread. We've got two more picks for you. So, sorry, really quick. Vanderbilt is so bad, it's actually a good hostile environment. Like, it's, it's that bad. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's, it's quiet. The whole game, it's it's never You're playing left. in a haunted house, so, right? Seriously, and it's like when you play at noon, and I think it's eleven their time. It's uh, it's difficult because there's like nothing going on. They just kind of lull you to sleep, and then the fourth quarter comes. Like, oh my god, this is still a close game. What are we doing? So, don't 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 look past the the terrible environment being a good environment. That's oh, man, that's beautiful. I, I would actually agree with that. Um, Okay, so we got two more. Arkansas, the mighty hogs that ruined my bank account last week. Um, and they're at Mississippi State. Mississippi State is a 21-point favorite. Now, the real question is here, Luke and Connor, do you think that the SEC officials are going to be in the pockets of Arkansas because Nick Saban's paying them to be that way? Uh, do you think they cover the spread? Go. Uh, what's the spread? 21, Mississippi State. Oh, no. No way. No. Because Arkansas also made me lose money last week Ooh. by keeping it close against LSU. It was nice and cold. I'm pretty sure it will be not warm in Stark Vegas, you know, America's Ooh. entertainment capital. Um, <laughs> that's another terrible place to play. But, yeah, yeah, I like uh, – I think Mississippi State will win but probably by 10 or so. So Mississippi State is going to cover, and here's why. Don't get me wrong. We are big. We are the first tie story, story of a hurl uh, podcast. We are the first supporters outwardly of him and everything that he does. Having said that, I cannot get that play out of my mind last week where they did the little pop pass and Rakeem Boyd runs into it was maybe the worst play of the year in college football. Um, I, I still can't get over that. And with all of those cowbells going on that we're going to be that they're going to be hearing constantly, I think that they're, they're due for like three or four of those. Give me Mississippi State to cover in this game. I know that that's a lot considering what we've seen from them offensively up and down this year, but that defense is going to put a hurt on that offensive line. I think you know they did on Tua, and I think that they're going to do the same to Ty Story, and they're going to blow up plays in the backfield. I think this ends up being a convincing Mississippi State win. I, I mean, I agree with you, but based off of um, totally opposite reasons. Because, you know, I think, I think stuff like that happens in football every once in a while. That being said, our buddy, this is the story of a hurl. Boom, nailed it again. Uh, Ty Story <laughs> has 11 total touchdown passes this season. You know how many he has on the, on the road? Hell, brother, almost as many as me. He's got one. He's got one this season on the road. He's about to face one of the best defenses in the country. Um, I think that coming off of what happened last week when Nick Fitzgerald had 14 carries for negative 23 yards. Fun fact, Connor, 
First time in 42 career games he did he had negative yards rushing. Huh, those refs. Anyway, I think Mississippi State bounces back this weekend. They put a hurt on Arkansas. Turn them hogs into bacon. Am I right, guys? All right, I'll see myself out. We have one more to go. We have one more to go, and that is, guys, this is, uh, this is a real thing I'm going to say, so strap in. The SEC Game of the Week on CBS, Missouri, unranked Missouri, heads to unranked Tennessee, coming off a huge win against Kentucky. What are these words that are coming out of my mouth? Can, Missouri is a six-point favorite. Luke, who you got? Well, first of all, Nick Fitzgerald not having a negative rush until last week. I think I went my entire career without having a positive rushing game. So there's that. a boy. Uh, in your face. In your there face, you Nick. Um, <laughs> if it's the Tennessee team that, that showed up last week, which I called, by the way, thank you very much, the drop back, you're welcome, um, then nice. I, I love Tennessee. Love them. And if it's the Drew Locke that played against Florida, then I love Missouri. I have no idea what I'm going to get. So Tennessee has been more bad than good this year. And I think Missouri has the edge on quarterback by not as big of a margin as people think. So I will take Missouri. I'll swallow the points at Tennessee. You make a good point about Mizzou and Tennessee not being that far apart in terms of quarterbacks. Um, a certain person who has to do weekly quarterback rankings for SDS put Drew Locke at number three, <laughs> actually, and put Jared Garantano at number five. I'm just it's a throwing weekly that out there. Did you do that, Connor? It's no, 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 hold on. Why did you do that, Connor? I did. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Luke, I did this, not Jordan Rodgers, but I like where your head's at. I like where your head's at. Um, but, but why did you I did that because so Marlon. high, Connor? There you because Marler, Marler talked me into it. I was guilted. Um, I, I, I smell the roses now. I see the, the goodness that is Jared Garantano in this game. I think that, that Tennessee is, is going to cover, and I think, you know, I think, I think Tennessee wins this game by a touchdown. I think this is a team that's playing for a lot. They, they're able to clinch that bowl eligibility against Mizzou. I think I flip-flopped on this a couple times this week, but right now my gut is saying, Listen to that little voice in, in my head that is Marler whispering about Jared Garantano <laughs> and roll with the balls. I think I think we could all agree me whispering about Jared Garantano is a good thing. No, that's probably that's yeah, super I don't like, creepy. That, that felt super that felt creepy. weird. That, um, so so I won't I won't whisper anymore on the podcast, guys. I promise. Um, yeah. So this is a trap, Vegas. It's a trap. I think Vegas is um, is I I don't like what they're doing. To be honest, I've uh, emotionally I've I've come apart. Um, it's just been a real spiral out of control for me over the past couple weeks with with uh, gambling lines. That being said, I'm gonna take Mizzou to cover. I think I mean they're they're good in November. I guess Barry Odom has won his last six games in the month of November. Tennessee is coming off a strong win, and but I don't understand why they're playing so well because they have they have 169 first downs. It's like 100 and it's like below 120 in the country. It's terrible terrible uh, in terms of a ranking so I like I like Missouri I like Missouri to win outright uh, I think it'll be kind of an exciting game um, at so late but I think Missouri pulls away and they win in Knoxville so those are your week 12 picks I am now dead inside because we have one more week of the regular season Connor take it away all right Luke we're gonna close with we got a uh, one quick game that we play with all of our guests it's called where is your dad going to work next um, we play it with everybody. All of our guests are, uh, you know, have a dad who is, you know, former NFL coach, all that stuff. So, 
Um, you can answer these questions. And if you if you say something, we're going to assume that your dad is going to this place. If you say nothing, that means your dad is not going to this place, not even thinking about it. Let's start with the first one. Just throwing this out there. This is just, you know, this is what everybody's talking about. USC. Well, Clay Helen hasn't been fired yet, which I, I mean, thought he was going to be fired last week. And, yeah, my dad went to USC, and he's never coached in college. But I know he would consider it. But I'm not, you know, he doesn't even have plans of coaching next year, but I know that he would consider it. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Um, I let's let's throw this this other one out there just just because you know I think that a lot of people are wondering uh, in the southeast whether or not your dad is going to be the next coach of the New York Jets when Todd Bowles is fired. Yeah, that was silence. That was silence. That was good, Luke. All right, you got the game. You mastered <laughs> the game. Go. I love it. That was perfect. Um, <laughs> We appreciate you coming on, man. Always appreciate your honesty. Um, yeah, all of our everybody listens to the SES pod should be watching the drop back. You're you're going like a million times a week now. I feel like every time we have yeah. you on, you're going on for at least up one more day. Uh, tell us uh, when and where people can find you. Yeah, you know it's basically an all day, every day thing now. So the drop back is live. I don't know, five to seven times a week on youtube and twitter slash periscope i also upload them to itunes podcast uh basically talk mostly gators but all of college football and nfl i guarantee if you're a football fan you will love it follow me the drop back uh on twitter and youtube guarantee you'll enjoy it nice luke appreciate it as always go have yourself a red velvet cupcake and enjoy cupcake week my friend (laughs) thank you very much guys appreciate you guys having me on Appreciate Luke coming on, as always. Um, that breaking news about his dad and where he is going to be coaching was, of course, uh, great stuff and the obvious takeaway point from everything that he said, right? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it is Wednesday, we've got fourth and wrong. We've got some good ones this week. I know I, I feel like I say that a lot, but you do. these really had made me think. We were just going over the first one, and I went through like, 10 names, and I'm, I've, I've thought long and hard about this, but why don't, you, why don't you, you share this this first one that we got from Red Rock 76. So, Connor, you, I mean, you're right. You do say that every week, but, you know, I'm not going to do what you do and say that you said that last week, you said it the week before. I'm not keeping running tally. I like it when you say that because we do get some good input from these we guys. We do. We do. I like it. So, Red Rocks, 74. 76. 76. Um, minus seven, if you know what I'm saying. No? Okay. Anyway, inappropriate. First question. In an MMA tournament, who are your final two rap artists standing? Mine would be 50 Cent and DMX. That is his answer. Go ahead. I I think those are two great choices. I thought about this a lot. And by a lot, I mean for about like two and a half minutes probably. Mm -hmm. And I came up with one... You're going to laugh at this, and I'm not, this isn't talking about his rapping ability or anything like that, but I'm just going to throw this out there. LL Cool J. Oh, God. That guy's getting into an MMA rink, and he's, he's handling himself just fine. Did you say rink? Ring. I said ring. Okay. The octagon. Sure. Call it what you want. Sure. No. He's, he's handling himself just fine. Mama said knock you out. We all saw that he can fight. So, proof of that. The other guy that I'm taking, and this one, he's not a typical MMA build, but I feel like if you just throw him in the cage... He would do some crazy stuff. How about Ludacris? Uh, that is a terrible answer. 
You see what I said? Did there it's crazy stuff, Ludacris? Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, Ludacris. Now I'm. Y'all know I'm from Atlanta. Ludacris first. You first rap video. What's your fantasy? Was filmed in the same, in the same strip mall and complex that my childhood pediatrician was in. That is not a joke. It was in front of uh, Dr. Gottlieb's office. It's a fantastic time. Now, I also, I also headlined there in comedy. No big deal. Not at the doctor's office, but Sick outside right. of the atrium in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Anyway, Ludacris is not tough. I don't, I don't think. I would say it's hard for me to go away against Tupac, but he's dead. I mean... I would have gone Tupac too, but yeah. yeah Getting shot is not easy to go through. Trust me. I like where DMX is at because he's crazy. Really intimidating too. However, I'm going to take Dr. Dre. Mm. It's one of the only people that's ever stood up to Suge Knight and got away with it. First off, Suge Knight is terrifying. Second off, he's like gotten all roided up over the past few years. Has he? Yes, he's yoked now. Fun fact, first CD I ever owned was 2001 by really? Dr. Dre. Okay. I was way too young. I think I've said that on the, on the pod before. But... Uh, you know, who's counting? Who's counting? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, would take, I would probably take Suge Knight. I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Dre. And I think I would have to go with DMX. I like that answer yeah. a lot. It was good. I would go with DMX and 50 Cent Let's as go. well, probably. <laughs> anyway, um, I, got, I got suspended the last day of school in eighth grade for selling burned copies of that CD. Moving on. Better All character. Right. Karen Filippelli or Ann Perkins. That is submitted by Cochino Choi, a.k.a. Certified Hillbillies, one of my favorite people, uh, on Twitter. That's a pretty easy question in my book. I think it's obviously... Obviously, Ann Perkins. Karen yeah. Filippelli is way too clingy. I mean, stage five clinger. She goes from she goes from Stanford all the way to Scranton, and then when they're interviewing for the job at corporate New York, she says to Jim, "Like, if you got the job, I would move here for you." Like, Karen, get Back some up. roots. Yeah. Figure out where where your life is going to be. Have an identity. And yeah. meanwhile, Ann Perkins, I know she's a little bit over the place. I'm not saying that she's a great character because she's I think great. she's largely overshadowed by Leslie Nope. But what I will say is she is not as bad as Karen Filippelli. I feel bad because Karen Filippelli got a bad rap, and I feel like they wrote her in as kind of to be the crappy character. Yeah. She's the homewrecker. But you know, Karen Filippelli is the worst character. Not even she close. was pretty great at first, like when she was like kind of taking care of Jim up in Sanford. He did with Andy all the time. But no, Ann Perkins is the answer here. It's not even a question. It's definitely yeah. Ann Perkins. She's a nurse. That's cool. Um, okay, next question submitted by Mr. Crash to you on Instagram. Is there ever a manly way to wear a scarf? No. Just going to throw it out there. there now, that's not to say you can't wear a scarf. Right. But if, but if your goal is to try and be manly, that's, you're not going to accomplish that. That's a, a good point. So I was going to say yes, but I like what you just said there. Like if your goal is to be manly, yeah, that's probably true. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes, but like maybe with a pea coat. Yeah, I mean you have to have like a good strong jawline. Mm -hmm. You can't look like me right now. Like winter, Chris. Nope, can't be pulling off a scarf. And that doesn't make a lot of sense, but you know what I'm saying. If you're hibernating, you're packing on some pounds. You gotta have you a, make you a, good, have a nice jacket. The the point about the jacket and the jawline is very key. You gotta have the two J's when it comes to wearing a scarf, and that's just to be able to wear it, not necessarily to look manly in it, right. but just so you could pull off the GQ that look that Danny Cannell tries to pull off whenever he wears turtlenecks. And if you want to look like manly, I guess with that, you have to rip off the sleeves of the jacket. Maybe. Mm. Nah, probably not. Okay. Uh, moving on. Since hunting season is upon us, two big hunters here, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, which SEC mascot is the best to hunt? That comes from. Ted081997 on Instagram. There's one answer and one answer only, Don't and it's that, it. 
It's that freaking land shark, man. <sighs> That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Um, so I was gonna say a Commodore. Right? Like a human being, huh? Like World's Most Dangerous Game? No? Too much? Yeah, I think you're right. It's definitely the land shark. It's definitely the land shark. We all want to hunt the land shark, let's be honest. Without a doubt. Um, Gosh, especially with that smile. What a creep. He's just asking for it. The last one uh, submitted to us by I'm Brad Burton on Twitter. Orgeron, Gundy, Leech, Kiffin, or Mullen. Which one would you pick to deliver your eulogy? I'm not going with Leech because I think he'd be the obvious choice for many here, but I think he would get too sidetracked and he'd want to talk about other things. That's a good, that's a really strong point. And I think that Gundy would be a little bit too honest. I think Coach O would deliver it in the best possible way because it would be epic and that everybody would remember it. And Coach O usually says pretty honest things in press conferences, but not too honest right. of things. Like he, he will, he, he'll spin something in a way that looks favorable very, very well. So I would tend to go with, and, and Mullen is, is again, too honest and you yeah. know, no thank you. So Coach O is my obvious choice. All right, so yeah, I don't like Gundy. Your mom's dead. I don't like him doing fart noises in public. That's not, that's yeah. not for me. Can't have that. Leech, the user. point you made about Leech is so strong. That is such a very valid point. And you guys all know I love Coach O. I'm going to go a different direction here. I'm going to say Kiffin. And now here's why. Uh, so today, actually, is three years ago today, is, um, was my grandma's funeral. Passed away. Um, I had to give a eulogy. My mom gave me no prep or warning. Um, and it was a tough one. It was a, that was very, very close to my grandma. And, so, and her last name was Burton, so that's why, one of the reasons I picked this. But... Um, and this kind of goes in theme, the reason I'm bringing it up with what I always try to say, just keep your head up and be positive and try to find positive stuff and like the dark stuff. I remember going to talk to my grandma and the last thing I said to her was I brought her a, I brought her a medicine. I just stopped by at like the doctor and go pick up her medicine and I brought it to her and she was like very feeble. She's in bed. Like you can barely see me. And I said, grandma, I got your medicine. She's like, is that you, Christopher? And I was like, yep. She goes, I remember I used to change your, your diaper on the roof of cars in front of uh, in front of Kroger. And I was like, well, that's nice. I still like to pee outside. And she's like, that's fine. Most boys do. <laughs> and I said, here's your medicine. And she goes, thank you. And I said, you owe me $40 for it. So I'll just let me know when you're going to pay me. And we laughed and hugged. And that was the last time I spoke to her. And it, it was a perfect way for her to go for us because that was like our whole relationship um, dynamic. That's why I would go with Kiffin because I feel like he'd be able to find like a positive, funny light in such like, a dark time. So there you go. Oh, see, wow, that was well thought out. Yeah. If you ever, it, was not like, to, it not literally to, happened today, three years ago. So it was like a, it was a wow. pretty, pretty crazy. Not to get too dark here, but if you've ever delivered a eulogy before, man, it, it's an it's an interesting ex- experience from from start to finish. And looking back on it, you you like you'll look back and think to yourself, oh my god, how in the world did I do that? Yeah. It's one of those things that you just kind of black out for while you're doing it, and then later you're like, wait, that that happened. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah. not to get too dark. But. No, it's fine. I, I, I mean, like, I always try to make light of situations like that. I'm like, this is not a joke. The night before, I was on Amazon Prime, um, trying to find the exact outfits because I kept calling it a funeral because I was trying to keep like I, I I'm kind of like the glue in my family when it comes to, like keeping everyone's spirits up. So I try to find the exact outfits from Cool Runnings, uh, that final scene where they're carrying the bobsled. I was like, we should do that with the casket. Did not happen. Did not happen. Frowned upon. So. Those things are heavy, too. Yeah, for real. I was yeah, in shape. Them. Take it away. They don't tell you that. Let's close with it might mean too much. 
Um, this is perfect Florida man. Um, not to pile on Florida man because I am technically Florida man, but now I am not Florida man in this scenario. Um, the Gainesville Sun reported uh, that Parker Lee Prince, let's just throw his name out there because Spider-Man. his name sounds like a Florida, yeah, he's, he's Spider-Man. Uh, he was arrested three miles away from the swamp at a local gas station last Saturday night, Sunday morning, whatever it was, uh, because he rode the team's injury cart all the way there. And this is a $10,000 injury cart. I don't know how that's worth more than most used cars, but somehow Spinners. it is. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but it had apparently like $1,000 worth of damage to it. So that would tend to, I don't want to assume things, but usually sober people don't crash Injury carts, um, nope. <laughs> or or steal them in the first place. Just a thought. Also, um, very so he, good point. He was arrested for criminal mischief and grand theft with property damage. Apparently, he spent four hours with this thing. <laughs> he found it. No, stealing's not cool, kids. But he apparently found the, this the injury cart, Florida injury cart, um, outside of the stadium with the keys in it, and that's what prompted his curiosity. And four hours later. He gets arrested, and and, and that's all How she wrote. You, so, like, if you if you are the one that left the keys in there, that's <laughs> also thoughts and prayers to you, man. Because you got to go to and like. Luckily, it's Coach Bowen, but can you imagine if that was Saban? Be like, oh gosh, I, Coach, I, you know, the golf cart, I lost it. What do you mean you lost the golf cart? I lost my keys. Oh, where was the last place you left them? In the ignition. Okay, that's a problem. That's a problem. Somebody's getting fired from that, yeah, probably. Yeah. Hate to say it. And if you are getting fired from it and you're listening to the podcast, uh, feel free to come on and explain your side of the story and why you uh, yeah, let to Yeah, use your one call from jail and we'll thing. just we'll exploit it. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's fine. Uh, let's wrap things up with some five-star reviews. we got three good ones, three really good ones. You guys have really been crushing on the five-star reviews. Thank you so yeah, much. If you have not that. given us a five-star review yet, please do so. Tell all your friends to do so. Uh, we love reading these. So this first one is from uh, Land Ali Nine, I think. Lamical. Um, Lamical. Gosh, that was really bad. That was really bad. Uh, subject: Five stars. This podcast is everything you want about college football and the SEC. It is perfect podcast for a college student to sit back, relax, grab a drink, and enjoy listening to college football discussion. Chris and Connor are very engaged with their fan base on social media. Love SDS. Roll Tide. Like that. Like that. Um, okay, next one is from WW01309. Awesome show. Real guys. Real fun. This show is awesome. I love how these guys are real people who just live football and having who love football and having a good time. Plus, they actually have good takes, except for Connor's Mississippi State take. That one Too sucked. Soon. LOL, soon. JK, you guys rock. Love Coach O. And the trolling of Jordan Rogers and Danny Cannell. Keep it up, guys. That see, I love this one the most, and I I'm sorry that it's because of the Mississippi State thing, but only because it like fully encompasses like the entire fall. <laughs> yep. That that was basically our fall in a nutshell. And yep. they kept it, I think, less than 140 characters. So props to you, WW01309. This last one is from Marsh2420. Subject amazing. Dot dot dot. Simply Sabin amazing. That's that's setting it up. Okay. Uh, I live and breathe for this podcast. My go-to for anything and everything SEC plus more. Connor and Chris are entertaining yet unbelievably satisfying to the ears. Not your normal drown out your child crying for more baby shark over and over again background noise. Huge props to these guys and one day hope to meet both of you. We hope to meet you too, yeah. March 24, that nice. 20. That was really, really nice. And you're welcome for helping your kid not cry, I think. Yeah, and Baby Shark. You're welcome for that. 
Yeah, so that was that was something. Uh, thank you guys again for, for sending those in. Thank you for the fourth and wrong submissions. Thank you just for, for listening, even if you're not uh, engaging with us in that way. We just appreciate the listens, the downloads, the sub- subscriptions, all that stuff. So uh, make sure that you are watching Facebook Live every Monday night and Saturday morning. And That's Tuesday gonna be... night after the Oh, playoffs. and Tuesday. That's right. I've, I've been... I've been leaving that out every single time. Sorry, You're the one that brought it up. It was good stuff. That was your idea. I, I, I leave. I, I get the notification on my phone on Tuesday night after the playoff rankings come out, and I'm like, Ooh, Marler's coming in hot right coming now. Coming in hot. <laughs> make sure you are watching all of that. Uh, make sure that you're following us on Instagram, at Saturday on South. Follow us on Twitter, at the SDS Pod, at C Marler SDS, at CJ O'Gara. Cup week, cupcake week is ahead. Coach O, give us something to look forward to with Cupcake Week. I love me, okay. Now we rivalry week. Get excited. We're going to come in hot. Remember, most importantly, boys and girls. It doesn't mean too much. Talk to you Sunday.